0: Good day everyone, thank you very much for joining us for uh, what I believe is a very special webinar this afternoon. We have on the line um, Sheridan Smith, who I'll introduce fully in a moment, but he's going to be talking about the ICS um, Squared uh, Bermuda chapter and also the recent Security Congress in New Orleans, which I'm guessing many of us didn't make it to. I certainly didn't make it uh, there this year, I would have loved to have been there. Um, some very good topics are spoken about and that's why we're so lucky to have Sheridan who was actually there and participating in the conference um, to, uh, to talk us through. So a little bit of housekeeping before we get started, um, please do ask questions as we go along, there is um, space in the app, it should be on the right-hand side of your window but ask questions as we go along please, all questions are welcome. We've got space at the end of the presentation to answer any questions that you've got so um, you know please do ask away and then we'll answer those at the end um, no question is um you know is too big or too small so please do ask them and if uh, um, if it's too big and we don't get a chance to answer it on the webinar we'll try and do so by email um, after the event so sheridan um let me uh, bring you back in and if you'd like to introduce yourself um, I'm sure you're known to many of our Bermudian listeners today, but if you'd like to introduce yourself and um, and then we'll start talking about the uh, Security Congress.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, the ISC Squared Congress. I've been going for about eight years now, maybe a bit more. Uh, it really is a, a smorgasbord of what's happening in IT security, cybersecurity around the world, what the trends are, uh, and, term, and also in terms of what's new and exciting coming out of ISC Squared. Um, I just for our audience, listening audience, those that don't know the history of ISC Squared, ISC Squared is the world's leading cybersecurity and IT security professional organization. In June of 1988, a conference was hosted by NIST and the Federal Information Systems Security Educators Association at Idaho State University to address the need for standardized curriculum for the rapidly increasing profession. And there was a number of organizations there trying to standardize the profession. And uh, the question was asked why so many organizations trying to accomplish the same thing. So it was agreed that they would form a consortium that would uh, work to, to, to put together a common body of knowledge, which was finally produced in 1990. And, uh, and shortly after that, ISC grid was formed in 1992 launching their first credential, which is the CISSP credential, in 1994, since which they have several, four or five others, uh, the latest one being in 2015, the CCSP, uh, which is uh, cloud-related, I believe. Um, And the uh, ISC Squared Local Bermuda Chapter was formed. um, We started chartering in January of this year. Uh, I, myself, have been a member of uh, ISC squared since 2004, um, been in the profession a very long time. I'd rather not say I'd give giving myself away there, but um, uh, it was it, uh, it was formed in January of this. We've been ch- chartering and got our official uh, official um, chapter in July of this year. Our vision is to uh, to to uh, deliver value to our community by providing expertise and leadership to address cyber information, software, and infrastructure security, which is inclusive of people, processes, and technology. We want to be a resource for cybersecurity education, awareness programs, and technical expertise in our community. And we're excited about where we're going. We've had uh, four events this year, um, some of which were really well attended and got some international press. We had a live hacking demonstration earlier this year which got us some international press and was very, very uh, well attended. Um, so that's what we are uh, in, in terms of ISC Squared and Bermuda. In terms of the Congress, yeah, as I said, it was a smorgasbord of information, uh, the tracks. Um, Darren, if you want to change the slide. Well, we
0: leap into that um, Sheridan. Let's have a look at sure. the, let's have a look at, start going through the, the deck. Um, and as we do that, uh, I would just sure. encourage anyone who is working within IT or working within information security, um, particularly if you're based in Bermuda, um, you know, go and speak to Sheridan, find out how you can actually um, join up and become part of uh, ICS Squared because it is a good, um, you know, good organisation and it does really help its members in uh, understanding and keeping up to date with these matters. So I'd really encourage that. Okay, so. So here's the tracks then, Sheridan. Lots of good stuff on here. Lots of stuff that we'd expect to see. Um, you know, cloud security, cyber crime, governance, regulation, and compliance. Were there any? You know, which one of these tracks was the one that you, um, or the couple that you you particularly favoured?
1: Yeah, for me, I was particularly inter- interested in the incident response forensic track, uh, the government uh, regulation and compliance track. And the threats track, track in particular, people-centric track as well. Sorry, so I did I did those four tracks in particular, and I, did, oh, I also did one course, one um, session in cyber crime. So I did about five, a couple about five tracks in my three days.
0: Wow, that that must have kept you busy. I know how um
1: yeah um, how yeah. jam-packed those things. Yes, you move from one well, room to the uh, next. And 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 sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying you move from one room to the next, and you've got to be moving pretty quickly because they do fill up. Um, ISC Squared um, really sold out this year, and uh, so it, it was definitely jam packed.
0: And I know we'll be covering some of this as we go through on the individual slides. But were there any particular takeaways or one um, key learning that you uh, that you that you took away from um, one or other of the tracks?
1: Um, yeah, in particular, incident response. Um from that particular track, I, I took took away the fact that uh, although we may have a really perfect plan on paper, uh unless you exercise it, um you really find you can really find yourself from examples that were given, can find yourself on the on the on the shorter end of um probably res- proper, proper properly sorry, resolving an incident when it arises. So that one definitely stood out for me.
0: You, you're absolutely right, and that that's one of the areas that organizations usually um, trip up on. They have a great plan on paper, um, but they don't have the ability to um, execute it, or indeed to test that execution.
1: I, yes. Uh, I'll
0: give a very um, quick example, and Sheridan, you may have heard this one before, I sometimes use this in presentations I give, but if you think about how many people Used to die in fires in New York City. I use New York City, but any built-up area can. Um, this can apply to hundreds of people, often thousands of people, used to die in um, you know large metropolitan areas um, due to fire. Now these days, death by fire is actually thankfully um, you know greatly reduced in such a you know, such areas, and that's for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons is we have an incident response plan that is well practiced. You know, we're all familiar with you know the test ringing of the fire alarm bell, um, you know, once a week or once a month, depending on where you are in the world and what, uh, what the local codes are. And you know, at least um, you know here in the UK and our US office is pretty much the same. Um, we have a test evacuation every six months to make sure that everyone knows where the exits are and how long it takes to get out of the building and all that kind of stuff. That to me uh, you know incident response and testing and training um is really about the practice of those behaviors a little bit like the the you know the fire, fire alarm tests that we have so
1: yes but you I noticed one one thing I did notice is that um, a lot of the people that were there, a lot of companies that were there um were very much in the um early stages of putting together a proper incident response plan and actually testing it out. One of the things that I've discovered over the years is the challenge of trying to get all the resources in in the room at the same time. If you're testing an incident that is going to affect the company globally that requires legal representation, uh, HR, et cetera, trying to get everybody in the room to do a a tabletop exercise or some other form of um, incident response testing is a challenge, um, trying to get everybody in the room at all the resources at the same time.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right, know, One of the answers we have to that is actually making them fun, actually making them something that, you know, before people actually turn up, they may be thinking, oh, you know, well, it's, you know, some, you know, some practice run of something, oh, it's going to be really boring, but actually making them quite exciting, and Mm -hmm. we've run events like that, and there have been people who have, uh, you know, declined attending, who have come up to us afterwards and said, I heard it was really good. I want to make sure I'm on the next one. Please make sure I'm on the list for the next one. Um, So, you know, trying to turn that around and actually making it something that's, um, you know, fun to be involved in as well as a serious, um, you know, a serious subject too. But um, look, we've got lots to cover and you and I Sheridan, we're, um, um, you know, we can talk for our nations uh, independently. (laughs) let's, um, Let's move on to the next slide. And you just let me know how, um, you know, I know you've got some bits and pieces and we've talked through some of these slides. So why don't you talk about this one here, the uh, Congressman uh, Frederick Richmond and his, his particular focus.
1: Yeah, what, what attracted me, particularly to this particular keynote presentation, which was held on the Monday, was the um, the fact that I have been involved um, with the Bermuda government in putting together uh, cyber security, um, working together in a working group, putting together our cybersecurity strategy, etc., and and it's been exciting, and it's and it goes to show that uh, a lot a lot of countries have have work to do and legislation to to prepare. But this congressman, what caught me most about his speech was his concern that uh, it's not taken serious enough um, in terms of um, the, the U.S. Uh, government's concern for for cybersecurity at 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 the, at the at the deepest deepest levels um he 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 was he, he was he was a bit uh perturbed by the lack of um uh, enthusiasm to bring to put together proper legislation to deal with international global global um security issues um that so that that definitely was what caught me most about his his particular speech yeah, so. he wasn't. To be honest, he wasn't the best of speakers, so he doesn't stand out as you know. But uh, like the content was definitely a very, very much um, based on his concerns for for America and the lack of enthusiasm and legislation in America to deal with. Because, You know, he talks about things like GDPR, etc. You know, America is behind the times in in his in his opinion with respect to cybersecurity and proper legislation dealing with data privacy, etc.
0: Yeah, and I, I would I would probably agree with him as well. I think um, it's coming down to the individual states in the you know in the US at the moment. Um, CCPA, which is the Californian Consumer Protection Act, um, has been passed and that's coming into effect first uh, of January 2020. Um, um, obviously, we've got um, PIPER coming into effect in Bermuda. Yes. We've got GDPR already live here in Europe, and you know. When you look at a map, and uh, for those of you who have seen me speak, um, you'll have seen a map, uh, very often, or you very often use a map showing all the countries that have got some form of data protection regulation. And there's more no countries that have some form of data protection than don't, including some quite surprising ones like Russia and China as well. So yes. the US does stand out a little bit for its general data protection. Yes, uh, yeah. Yep. Um, you know, there's things like HIPAA and there's um, certain things for the SEC as well. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with um, his concerns in that respect, Sheridan. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right. Let's, um, so, the okay. track track.
1: Yeah, threat hunting. Well, threat hunting is uh, something I'm particularly interested in. Um, as a matter of fact, the uh, ISU Squared Bermuda chapter hosted an event last month with uh, an nth from Event Tracker where he was talking about threat hunting. Threat hunting is a pretty interesting topic. I, I don't know if Darren, if you or you, your organization are doing this, but just as a definition for those that are not aware, it, it, threat hunting is, is okay, so we have the good stuff in our network and the bad guys want what we have. And they're attacking us as we speak. They're trying to get a foothold. So what instead, instead of waiting for someone to tell us that we've been hacked, threat hunting is a focused, an iterative approach to seeking adversaries inside of your network. It requires an an, an, um, assumption that, uh, a paradigm shift, if you will, that despite our best defenses, the bad guys are inside. What now? The answer, go looking for them. So threat hunting. So I went to this particular, um, because I was interested in this, I went to this particular session and uh, just to see what uh, this particular Christie was talking about Um, and it was again along the same lines um, of of what I've been reading and and understanding about threat hunting. Darren are you are you familiar with this particular approach to cybersecurity?
0: Yeah and it is a paradigm shift as you say um, Sheridan but it's the right way around. Um, The Robert Mueller who obviously we hear more about these days for his investigations into Um, President Trump, um, when he was the director of the FBI, he came up with what is one of my favorite quotes about cybersecurity. And he essentially said, and this is back in 2013, so we're talking, you know, at least five years ago now, um, he came up with this, um, this quote when he was interviewed on CNN. And he said, there are really only two types of company, those who've been hacked and know they've been hacked, and those who haven't been hacked yet, And he said, even those are now forming into two two new groups. Those who have been hacked and are about to be hacked again and those who still don't know they've been hacked. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm probably misquoting that a little bit, but the key aspect there is it's not a matter of if, it's more a matter of when. So this uh, threat hunting really turns that that assumption around and says, okay, well, if it's a matter of um, when, not if, OK, then let's turn it around and actually start to um, start to go looking for these guys in our network. Now, the FBI, um, they say that it takes 270 days on average for an organization to recognize that it's been breached yes, and that yes, they actually yes. have on
1: time. Uh, yes, I had the same statistic in front of me. Time to discover 200 plus days and 80% yeah. of malware is tailored to the target network. Um,
0: yeah, and when I was working, um, um, I was uh, presenting rather with um, some guys from the FBI, and we were talking about this on a panel in um, in New York. Um, they were coming out with statistics as well that said for the larger hacks, very often, even though these are large organizations, well funded with cybersecurity teams, very often, the um, it's still the FBI, who are coming back and actually telling them that they've been breached, rather than them self-discovering. Not in all cases, but the FBI, perhaps they were overplaying their, overstating their case. But they were saying that in the majority of cases, that was uh, that was the case. So interesting statistics nevertheless.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then there was it was some talk about, um, you know, the definition, but it was some talk about the actual uh, kill chain. Um, yeah. The kill chain and and. And having a win-win. So whether or not, um, we, what, whatever you catch them anywhere in the cycle, you have a win and they yeah. lose. So you know, it's about, you know, getting as many wins as you can. And and some of these threats, we we, we tend to always be focusing on external, but although they're in, some of these threats are internal, meaning uh, employees, uh, looking for suspicious behavior from employees is also a part of threat hunting. Um, If you see John Doe, all of a sudden, he's downloading a lot of files to to a USB drive, when normally he doesn't download anything, then you you get concerned. So yeah, so the threat hunting was a pretty interesting topic. Uh, One of the things I'm discovering though, in in this, and I actually asked the question uh, of the uh, presenter, was what are the challenges in terms of resources for this? You know, yes, you can automate a lot of this with um, tools, the proper, proper tools, but it still requires some human quite a bit of human uh intervention and and, and work so uh, the challenge is finding the resources to do this threat hunting although it seems to be something that is imperative in this day and age cyber security yeah it
0: is and it is a challenge um showing in you know, we've uh, we've spoken previously about this uh, challenge and how to un- overcome the challenge of having the right resources at the right time. You know, obviously, as a consultancy company, Fifth Step can help with um, with that, but that's not always the answer. There is a certain degree of um, help and um, uh, that organisations need to have um, in house to be able to actually do the job and the ability to show the statistics and to show the um, the story of how you're actually hunting down people and proving. Preventing um, the data breaches and that kind of stuff—you know—they're important statistics when you're, you know, when you're running exercises like this. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Good. Um, So, no, no presentation would be complete these days without at least one mention of
1: uh, (laughs) blockchain. uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I tell you, blockchain and me—we're not best friends. I'm still trying to wrap my head around blockchain. I'm actually at my age still studying but yeah I'm studying blockchain right now and, and so that I can fully understand what's going on so I did attend a couple of of the sessions that were blockchain related this one in particular I thought I wanted to talk about because it was a bit more um uh, a bit more informative about if you go to the next slide in particular about some of the some of the potential applications um for blockchain so like it helped it helped me to better understand Uh, what blockchain is all about. Tell me, Darren, I'm sure a a guy, what what can you know, what do you know about blockchain? Well,
0: the blockchain is a really um, exciting um, solution that in many cases is looking for a problem. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: There are lots of things that it could be used for, but its real benefit comes in the network effect and where markets can come together. Now, there are many opportunities to do that within financial services and some are already being exploited and looked at um, uh, and, and ramping up and some are perhaps you know still in that um, that initial stage but you know particularly in insurance you know you've got on here the the smart contracts you know smart contracts are very much a, a very powerful way for insurance companies to rapidly reduce you know costs for mm-hmm. uh, for, for claims for example that are Uh, that are uh, reported or validated by a third party so one that's always used and I apologize for using it but it is a stunning example but you know if an airline reports that they've cancelled or delayed a flight and that means that you have a legitimate claim on your travel insurance then why should you have to be claiming through the insurance company to actually you know, uh, recognize that claim. If uh, if the airline's already said that you've checked in or you know, you've already indicated to the insurance company that you've checked in and then the airline reports independently to the insurance company or to the blockchain that this flight has been cancelled or delayed, um, the insurance company can then uh, examine that delay or that cancellation. Does it actually apply to one of their policyholders? Yes, it does. Oh, okay. Well, that's um, you know, let's trigger the payment now, so we don't have to do anything with claims in that respect. So things like that are going to be very, very powerful. And the other things, digital currency. Everyone you know talks about that. I think yes. that's. A, I think it's a very powerful area, and there are lots of people who are very um, passionate about um, things like uh, blockchain, and I think they they have a real absolute future. But in the in in many of the aspects, that many of the people will be listening. You know who are listening today or watching today will be uh, thinking about is um, you know things about smart contracts um, you know proving ownership um, you know those kinds of things where really a network of people a network of um, um, you know the way the blockchain really comes into its own so it can be very powerful though and if you are investigating it and you need help, help with that we have some very good um, um, experts far more um, expert than uh, uh, than myself in this in this area, who are actually helping organisations strategize this and actually implement uh, blockchain too.
1: I thought the session would would cover a bit more about the um, cyber security risk of 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 blockchain, um, it, but it didn't. Can you can you elaborate maybe a couple of seconds on that one? What do you know the, the major yeah, risks to well,
0: be? Well, okay. So blockchain is um, uh, places a lot of weight and a lot of dependency, and. Um, you know, a lot on its um, on its inherent uh, reliance on encryption. So there is an inherent um, safety that's built into it. Now that doesn't mean that it's unpenetrable or that the you know there won't be um, hacks implemented. You know we've already seen instances of people's digital wallets being stolen. So those kinds of thefts and breaches can still take place. So the, from that perspective, um, you know, encryption is um, you know is is great, um, but it does require um, some planning and some forethought, and not an over reliance on it, because um, there are many many encryption mechanisms that are now redundant because they can be brute force attacked um, yes. or been cracked, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And we all, you know, many of us will have read stories about those. Those kinds of things. So we have to be remaining vigilant. Encryption is great, but you can't just uh, fire and forget on that kind of thing. You still have to maintain good security controls and good best practice in order to ensure that you're um, that you're safe. But a lot of organisations will be considering blockchains be far more secure than their traditional transaction ledger, for example, mm-hmm. yes. Um, yes. just because it inherently includes uh, encryption. Encryption, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Good. Okay, let's flick on to this next slide. There we go. Oh, here we go. Se- selecting security controls. We can, um, we we queued that one up nicely, yeah, uh, Sheridan. When you talk yeah.
1: us through uh, this uh, this one. Yeah, sure, sure. Security controls is one of my favorite areas of, of what I do for a living. Um, uh, this one in particular was talked. This session in particular talked about security controls and it went through a number of um, the standards and control objectives. Um, that can be used, but it's amazing how a, a number of companies still don't do not have the basic controls. For instance, a simple control as uh, when someone um, joins, someone terminates employment, that there is no control to remember to terminate his Active Directory access at the same time, or yeah. <laughs> uh, simple things like that. It's amazing, you know. It was the uh, the presenter asked a number of questions of people and, and it was amazing to see the number of hands that go up that, that are still don't have the basic controls in place. So I thought this was a good session. If you go through the slides, you'll see some of the things that were shared. Um, but then are, as you know, there are a number of standards that, that we can use um, to help us to put together these controls within our various organizations. Um, yeah. But That's he, he cool. talked about the importance of having the controls in order to be compliant, um, to be compliant with these various regulations here and regulators. And then the importance of having controls at the various levels, um, both technical and non-technical, at the operating system level, application level, database and inst- infrastructure, et cetera. Um, so yeah, the controls, uh, you talked about different types of controls. Um.
0: That's, uh, uh, the uh, the example you gave there, Sharon, it reminds me of an engagement that we had with a client um, a few years ago now, uh, about five years ago, actually. And we, we did a... Um, a security um audit and we were looking through some aspects and looking at the the user permissions and all that kind of stuff and we very quickly identified um the most powerful person within the organization now Sheridan if I was to ask that question of you you know who's the most powerful person in an organization you might you might be thinking oh well it's you know someone on the c-suite uh, you know someone like that or it's a no,
1: no, not or, at all. <laughs> it's a guy with the, with the admin with the admin password <laughs>
0: yeah it could be the guy with the admin password do you know who it was in this particular organization though they they started a graduate scheme um, about a year before and they were passing graduates through every area of the company and whilst they did have a starter and a lever process, they didn't have a mover process. So oh. every time these people moved between areas of the organization, yes. um, they inherited and retained, they access retained access. their old access rights and they inherited yes. new access rights. So yes. now this was an insurance company, so you can imagine a situation, they started on the, um, they started in one side of finance, so they could um, you know, receive payments. Um, they started, um, they then moved on to the payable Um, uh, side of uh, finance so they were actually able to settle um, payments and make payments in that respect um, and set up accounts and all that kind of stuff and they then moved into underwriting, Um, they then perhaps moved into claims. Mm -hmm. Now now, just putting those three together, um, those uh, three departments or four roles together, um, any person would then have the right the the rights to set up uh, a new organisation within the the general ledger, they would be able to underwrite, you know, within certain limits, uh, a policy. They would uh, be able to process the uh, the claim, and they would uh, be able to make the payment within the the uh, the, uh, the payment system, the general ledger system. So yes. um, the segregation of duty are completely broken down by virtue mm-hmm. of um, uh, the graduate scheme. Now, luckily. M- Either the graduates hadn't realised, or they were all far too honest. I'm sure it was the latter, but they were all far too honest to actually um, do anything like that. But our security audit quickly identified that right. the controls not only lacking, but there were actually breaches that were in potential right there in the end. So mm-hmm. um, it's really, uh, really interesting.
1: yeah. Yeah, it's amazing the number of companies. That for instance, another one in, in that I find popular is uh, application audits. So you give, you give. Your group of employees access to your great um, general ledger and and you don't review that on a periodic basis to ensure that they still have the right access uh, you know so I, I, stuff like that is also i think t- important to to consider when putting together controls
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, if they'd had a periodic review um, that would have been fully exercised, um, then obviously um, those people with access, you know, still have, who still had access would have been identified, you know, mm-hmm. far more quickly than they actually were. But as it was, um, some of the people had been on there for well over twelve months. But the program had been running properly. I think it was about twelve months by the time we got there. But some of the people had access rights that um, you know went back beyond twelve months. So
1: yes very uh very powerful. so the and these are some of the procedural controls that you mentioned the, i think the contractor access control was something that was i think result of the target um, incident wasn't it the fact that the contractor there was a connect there was inter, inter- interconnectivity between the contractors network and target and they actually infiltrated correct. through the contractors is that correct yeah that's
0: correct yeah it was the yeah. hvac Company wasn't it um, yes. who were actually breached and yes. um, whether they were targeted or not I can't remember now but um, they had a VPN that uh, dialed straight into the into targets network and um, once the hackers were into Targets network they were regarded as um, you know broadly speaking they were regarded as a friendly and to have um, you know more access than they should have done so mm-hmm. no presumption of minimal access um, in yes. the. It targets controls. The other really depressing thing about that is they'd recently implemented um, uh, a new system, a new security monitoring system and it had been in test for you know the last you know month or something like that and they were very used, to, they were they were tuning it so they were very used to um, lots of messages coming through but actually the system was uh, um, very busily alerting them to that they were being breached but everyone was diligently ignoring it because the system was still as far as they were concerned, being tuned and therefore um, you know, should be ignored until further notice. So <laughs> uh, it's quite unfortunate when everything's in place, but uh, people are actively ignoring
1: it. Yep.
0: Oh, one there.
1: Yeah, and then he just went through the various different uh, controls that you can get, you know, uh, through the various different bodies, standardizing bodies. Uh, this is one, this is the NIST control family here. Um, this is one I'm quite familiar with. And working through, uh, and then that's the, the, the end of that topic. Yeah. But yeah, so the, I thought that was a good topic. Um, again, controls are again a very important aspect of cybersecurity and information systems management uh, systems.
0: They are Sheridan, and people have to they have to make sure that these uh, these things are in place. It should really be your you know it's one of those areas that's fully under IT's control to put the right kinds of general controls in place it's mm-hmm. not one of those areas where you can say oh we, we haven't got the full support or sponsorship of the rest of the business it's an area where a CIO an IT director head of IT whatever your title is if it's within your area of expertise and responsibility should really be making sure it's um you know it's get, getting done and if you need help then reach out to the right people um either within your organization or externally to make sure that you could get it done.
1: Yes. Yep. So the people-centric track, I guess this would probably be my favorite track. Um, I certainly enjoy the people-centric track. Uh, so this one was pretty interesting. But this was uh, put on by MIT. Um, and they had done some research, or have been doing and continue to do some research in this area and putting together what they were considered to be the ultimate book on how to develop a cybersecurity culture um they did they did a survey prior to this uh, congress they did a survey with uh, i think it was a hundred no less than that about 40 uh isc squared member companies um and those those results were shared at the event that's uh,
0: uh, that's phenomenal there and, and look at that number there um sheridan sure, 89 percent of companies say they've been a victim of a cyber attack within the last 12 months, really yes. does prove out that it's
1: the when, not the if. That's right. And 84% due to unsafe human behaviors. Uh, yeah. You know, it reminds me of the uh, uh, the Great Wall of China. The biggest vulnerability of the Great Wall of China, despite all the years and manpower invested in developing those walls, the biggest vulnerability is the guy at the gate. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a very good point, yeah. I mean, people really.
0: I mean, there's a phrase that we um, use a lot. We're not alone in using this at all, but you know, people are the perimeter. Uh, yeah. So you know, being able to have and to monitor and understand um, the behavior, um, the yeah, the normal behavior of your users. So you may have a receptionist. Um, um, he signs in every day from you know from a desktop that's on uh, you're on the reception. Um, if he suddenly starts signing in from within one of the data centers, that shouldn't be considered to be normal behavior, even if it's um, authorized access. So being able to monitor that kind of behavior and understand that, you know, people have patterns and being able to watch those patterns or indeed, better still being able to react to those patterns when they change, just by, you know, raising the alert may may be completely innocuous, but, you know, Bob is now suddenly signing in from um you know from the data center. Um, you know, usually only ever signs in from uh from this desktop lo- location.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those things I, they can make a the difference. I think it's important to get that total buy-in from the top all the way down. Uh I, I, I see it as a case of we, we are at war, cyber war. And all of us, from the general right along down to the private, are uh, responsible for the security of the company that we, the jewels of the company we work for. And it requires everybody's buy-in, everybody's uh, participation, everybody's engagement um, in order to be, to be successful. It really is, you, because again, if you've got an, a company of 100 people and 99 of them are really, really well aware and, and keep a good password and don't write the password down and et cetera, et cetera, but you got one person who who really doesn't care and who's unaware and refuses to become aware. And that one person is the one way into the crown jewels. So I thought it was a very, I, I like the idea of um, trying to develop a cybersecurity culture. Uh, it's something that I, I have particularly myself, as you know, won an award recently, something I enjoy doing and um, putting together the proper programs to, to train people. I, I don't think you can do this with one session per year. You really can't. There's no way that you can train a, a, a military, uh, a group of mili- military people with one training session. you got to prepare them for, for all kinds of threats and eventualities. So, uh, um, having a good cybersecurity awareness program is important.
0: Um, yeah, you're absolutely right, Sheridan. And um, you know, I mentioned out on LinkedIn, some of the people um, listening and watching today perhaps. Uh, uh, perhaps we're already aware, but you know, um you know, congratulations again on that award. I think it's uh you know great kudos um to you and to the um you know the BMA team for that. Um but your point is very well made that the that this kind of drive needs to be a top down uh process. I read a phenomenal um article um about this um, on Forbes just this morning actually um and I'll be I'll be Um, writing an article on this so um, if you if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn then please do do that and then you'll uh, you'll see uh, my take on this article but essentially it's saying that corporate boards are underprepared and ill experienced in in some instances still um, uh, too inexperienced in IT generally but certainly in respect to um, information security and the number of organizations that have, have CISOs who are reporting to the board whilst it's increased is actually not still at the levels that it needs to be and corporate boards need to be taking that um, responsibility to ensure that they've got the non-executive directors, that they've got the CISOs, that they've got the, the virtual CISOs, um, you know the flex up flex down CISOs from you know someone like FistUp or whoever that actually are able to provide that Independent advice and guidance to the board to actually ensure that they are taking the right actions and that they're aware of the risks because it's actually a fiduciary duty um, to yes. ensure that you're protecting your organization against a foreseeable risk. And these days, you can't claim that you that you know, cyber attack wasn't a foreseeable risk. So, yep. it's a, you know, it's a really important one. Uh, but, um, yeah, do please follow me on LinkedIn and uh, and you'll see that,
1: um, you'll see me writing about that article.
0: Okay, cool. Missed your, uh, missed one slide there, there we go.
1: Yeah, that slide was just again talking about what the MIT Saloon, uh, Saloon co- um, Consortium is all about and what they're doing. Um, the next slide is the actual, their framework that they believe will be influential in, changing people's behavior um the external influences things like um posters and and uh newsletters um and then the, the various different policies etc help to change values attitudes and beliefs which will ultimately be change, change human behavior um so that's their model um uh, and we're running out of time so just i just want to talk about this next track in particular uh, this one is really what got me going with respect to opening up a starting a chapter in Bermuda um, last year i i was at the congress and i met Garfield uh ISC squared has normally had a formerly had an organization known as ISC squared foundation they have changed and now they have, they are known as um the center for cyber what is it there, Center for Cyber Safety? Uh, and one of the things that they're doing, they've teamed up with PAWS and Garfield, the cartoon character, and they're doing things for, in elementary schools, middle schools. Um, there's things i like to do here, and these things i like to present here in Bermuda. They are 35 to 40 minutes long. They include uh, comic books and posters and, uh, and and a short cartoon, teaching about privacy, uh, posting online bullying etc they have several more that they're putting together but right now they finished the first three um, so we're looking to be ambassadors for this particular movement here in Bermuda we want to get into the elementary schools and to the middle schools and help to keep our kids safe and secure online in additional additionally this organization p- provides information for parents if you continue to slide to the next slide um, for parents, uh, there's information on this on their site for uh, adults. I mean, seniors. Sorry, um, I certainly encourage people to visit imcybersafe.org online or the Center for Cyber Safety and Education, also online. Um, some really good stuff there. And this is one thing that really got me um, going with respect to wanting to start a chapter here. Uh, I really would love to get. I, I enjoyed teaching. Um, and I really like to work with the kids in, in getting them to be safe and secure online, especially those in Bermuda. But I encourage anyone else globally listening to this that uh, should certainly look into this for for your for your community.
0: Sheridan, sure, it's a it's a it's a brilliant initiative. It's um and and very much needed. I think that the key aspect there is that you know it provides information for for parents. Um, you know, many people listening will be parents and, uh, and understand the, the the challenges and struggles of um, you know helping and trying to teach um, you know children how to remain safe on, online. It's such a, a key part of uh, of modern life. You know, and thinking, yes. you know, I think the advice was on the previous uh, you know the previous slide. You know, think before you post and all that kind of thing, and all the various different ways that. Children can either be taken advantage of or actually do things that they don't appreciate, and probably um, you know, not what they should be doing. But yes. um, you know, it's a great thing. And like you, Sheridan, I would very much encourage people to, you know, to um, take advantage of these resources because a lot of the work has been done and it's all too easy these days to think, oh, you know, well, cybersecurity, it's all about our job, it's all about work, but personal cybersecurity and the cybersecurity of our families is actually also a very key part of um, you know keeping uh, the community as a whole, not just the business, um, safe. It's uh, you know, a very key aspect.
1: Yeah, and this, and this, this uh, program, Garfield program, has won the Teachers Choice Award 2019 for from for the classroom. So the teachers throughout America consider this to be the best tool right now for teaching our kids about uh, being safe online. And cybersecurity, and they also won another award in 2018. This year, um, for for small not-for-profit business of the year award. So this program is really is really doing well in America. Um, while I was in New Orleans, there were 20, um, I think it's 2,500 children who went through the program. While we were, while that week we were in um, at the Congress. Um, also, I want to add about the Congress before we. Before we go into the question and answer session, is um, the Congress always makes sure to that their people are entertained after the day today's after the daily sessions. One of the things that we did was a lot of fun. We had a riverboat ride on an old fashioned riverboat and dinner, and they paraded us from the hotel to the to the to the uh, dock, which about two or three block walk, with an old fashioned New Orleans parade, with the brass band and the, and the drums and the guy out front with the umbrella, what's they call him, the bandmaster I think, (laughs) but uh, they do try to make sure that people are, and then also another night we had dinner at what they call the Mardi Gras world, where they have a lot of the old floats and and whatnot, so they also make sure that not only do we get valuable information throughout the day, but we're entertained at night, so it really is a very very worthwhile uh, endeavor, and I encourage encourage people to uh, join the Congress in 2019.
0: That sounds like I mean, uh, Sheridan's a great opportunity and it's, um, you know, a valuable resource from a learning perspective, but a great experience. Now, I think the only thing that would make that experience actually better is if we can get hold of uh, one of those Garfield um, suits and have you actually uh, be in Garfield. <laughs> I'm
1: working on actually getting Garfield in Bermuda for an event of some kind. Um, we're, we're really planning some good the ISC square Bermuda chapters, really helping together. A good uh, good year of events in 2019. So Garfield was hopefully one of them.
0: That's great. Well, but we've got a couple of questions. Um, if anyone's got any other questions, um, then please do um, pose them. If not, we've got a couple of questions here, so we'll we'll cover those off, and then uh, if we've uh, if we've got time for some more, we'll cover them, and if not, uh, we'll finish up. So Sheridan, here's a, a good question um, that uh, that I think is really good for you, and it does actually mention your um, award. Um, you know, given that, that you've recently won an award for an awareness program, what were the key aspects of um, what should a good awareness program actually include?
1: A good awareness program, I think, has to be based on a framework. Um, I use a framework it's four, four, four parts. So the first part of the framework is assess. You assess your know, troops, assess where people are, assess the threat landscape. What are the big big concerns at your organization are you are you prevalent to phishing attacks, et cetera? Then, after assessing, the next step is to strategize, putting together a strategy f- for your security awareness p- training this year. So okay, in January, we're gonna do password training and uh, and then in February, we'll do uh, USB security, et cetera. So putting together a strategy to 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 fill the gap after based on your assessment your assessment can include uh, penetration testing it can include phishing testing just to get an idea of where your people are in terms of their understanding of cybersecurity so assessment strategy after the strategy you want to do the training um, and that's what training I talked about but my my strategy is as I I don't I don't believe in once once a year once a quarter every month there's training every month online some of them is it's 10 minutes no more than 15 minutes but i make them gamified i make them fun i make them challenging we included other things other than online we had a escape room challenge this year um and we had a live hacking demonstration and training after that this year um so the program i think is comprehensive so after the assessment the strategy and then the uh the training is the reinforcement and the reinforcement include things like includes things like posters We put posters around the building, and uh, by the printer in the kitchen, we put uh, newsletters out once a quarter. Uh, I would send an email on a regular basis about some portion of the policy, reminding people of the policy, et cetera, clear desk policy, et cetera. Um, If there's a a ransomware going around, I would send out an alert to people, um, letting them know what's going on. We do regular phishing tests, phishing campaigns. Uh, USB campaigns, um, and so yeah, so that's 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 our program. We try to be as comprehensive and thorough as possible. I think, but I believe a framework is important, and again, my approach is sort of like a this framework I use is like a military framework where you assess, strategize, train, and reinforce.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, you know, it's a, good, uh, a good process if you link that in, and I'm, I know you do, um, Sheridan, if you link that in with a continual improvement approach so that, you know, as you get to the end of one of those cycles, you're actually saying, okay, what, what has changed about the organization? What's Correct. Uh, changed about the threat landscape? What's, uh, you know, which bad actors are we attracting now that we weren't attracting previously? It gives you a good opportunity to... Um, you know, to cycle back round and having it as part of a continuous improvement mechanism is a really good approach um, just yes. to bring out uh, and make clear that um, that we're not perfect and we know that we're not perfect and we're always looking to improve and that really goes to build your culture of um, well continuous improvement, but your culture of um, cyber security and keeping the organization safe yeah um,
1: getting by everyone to see that there everyone's important in the, in the, in this um we're all in this together i think that's where also i stress that a lot um yeah. and, and that's why right. we come from the top down that same uh belief yeah
0: um so we've got uh, two more questions here um still time uh if anyone wants to ask uh ask a quick um additional question um this one sheridan i have been asked questions like this myself and i think it's a difficult one but i'm going to pose it out there anyway. But Um, What one behavioral change are you going to implement after uh, attending this conference? Is there a behavioral change that you're going to, that you're going to take on board or that you're going to recommend to uh, members of your team perhaps?
1: Yeah, if I had to pick one, one behavioral change is, um, would be related to incident response and the behavior change would be to be more vigilant and prepared, uh, and not perhaps I don't want to use the word nonchalant because I don't think my team is nonchalant, but uh, I would say just again, just be more vigilant and prepared uh, for an incident. So when it happens, you know exactly what you need to do. Yeah,
0: that's a, that's a really good one, Sheridan. And then um, the last question that we've got here um, on the on the books, um, you've mentioned about. Um, CISOs, um, uh, there was no mention of data protection officers, I've heard these two terms being used interchangeably, is there a a real difference? So let me me pick that one up. Um, Okay, so a data protection officer is something very specific towards uh, the GDPR, it's also mentioned as part of um, uh, PIPER and, and some other regulation around the world. In the U.S., it tends to be the the U.S. regulation as it stands at the moment, um, you know, some aspects of NIST and the um, NYCRR 500 regulations uh, for financial services, um, they tend to rely on um, the term CISO. They are slightly different terms, um, but the end result is the same. They both have the goal and objective to keep the data safe within the organization. you don't necessarily need both, which I think may be the, uh, the root of the question. Um, the question uh, the, the questions question. Um, you don't necessarily need both, but you should um, have at least one, and make sure that both areas are being covered. Um, so make sure that you're, um, you're you're looking into that. I mean, there are uh, and there are options, and if you do want to reach out and need some help with that, then obviously you would be more than happy to um, talk more about that and um, talk about some of the options. But make sure that you've got. It covered from at least one of those angles, whether it be a DPR or a CSO. They should really cross over and uh, complement one another, or at least the roles should. Sheridan, is there anything that you would add to that from your perspective?
1: No, I, I, I certainly that's your area of expertise, but I do see them as two two different roles. Uh, mm-hmm. The data protection officer uh, is is a result of the the uh, GDPR and the PIPA type legislation. So the um, mm-hmm. CSO has always been around, but yeah, I, I see them as. It could be some overlapping, but certainly I can I consider them to be two distinct roles. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great stuff. Well, look, Sheridan, thank you so much. Yeah, thank that.
1: you. Thank you, Darren. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was really enjoyable. I appreciate that. And uh, to those that are local and uh, listening, uh, I encourage you to come and join us and be a member of ISC Bermuda, ISC Square Bermuda chapter. love to have yeah. you on board. We're doing some good things next year and in the future.
0: Yeah, please do do that to take advantage. Um, you know, Sheridan's a big um, advocate for um, cyber security on the island, and it's um, you know it's uh, really good to have such an advocate um, going out and actually um, both representing Bermuda and doing good stuff, but also bringing some great stuff to the island as well. So if you are on the island, do make sure that you have a chat with them about that. Um, recordings of this webinar uh, they'll be available over the next uh, couple of days. Um, you should get an email about um, uh, about that, where to download them from. Um, if you don't subscribe to the 5th Step podcast, uh, then please do so. Remedy that immediately and that's um, that should be your uh, top of your to-do list uh, before you uh, finish uh, work today. Um, yeah, subscribe to the 5th Step podcast and then you'll get webinars like this and um, other podcasts that we do. Um, you'll get those downloaded automatically to your um, smartphone. Thank you very much again, Sheridan. And um, thank you, Darren. To close, and um, thanks, um, thanks everyone. Hopefully, you'll see lots of these guys on Ireland next year, and uh, and if not, you'll see them at the um, ICS Squared uh, Conference Security Conference 2019.
1: I look forward to that. Take care, Darren. Take care, everyone. Good thank evening, you. everyone. Bye-bye. You. Bye bye. Bye.